Begin Podfix Network transmission. In three, two, one. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fishing yeah, Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend, joined by my friend, the crappie hippie, John King himself. Good evening, John King. Good evening, Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd. How you doing, bro? I'm tired, John. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got man. teenage daughters and I am tired, but I've been fishing. <laughs> I've been fishing a little bit. I had my first second guided fishing trip of the year on Sunday, my first failure of the year. And I failed John on yellow perch, a fish that you oh. can't fail with. And I failed on yellow perch. Ouch. I know. Well, there's no habitat yet. I went to Silver Lake, hashtag suck it, Silver Lake. You've been on that lake with me before. It's in Madison, New Hampshire. And the clients wanted to get a bunch of yellow perch, and they'd never fished in their lives. And I, they said, what's the easiest fish to catch on this lake? I'm like, yellow perch. And we couldn't find them. We just found, like, we found, like, tiny, tiny ones. We could not find reasonable yellow perch. It was the weirdest. I've never, ever had that problem. That is crazy. I mean, I cannot speak to it because... Uh, yellow perch is a very, uh, you know, it's an anomaly in Kansas. Mm -hmm. There are some people trying them out in ponds because that's the mo number one, most frequently fished body of water in this state. And, um, also, uh, the lake next to me in the little town over here, uh, next to me is Gardner and Gardner Lake used to be managed by a sportsman's club. Sure rather than KDWP, and they, they tried everything in there yeah. over the years. And it used to be Gardner had two or three records, including the one for Yellow Perch, because it's the only lake in the state that had them, so well, pretty funny. Well, you fished Yellow Perch on sub with me before. You remember how good that was? That, hey, man, it's in my top ten most epic times fishing ever. I, But you know who taught me to how to, how to, how to zero in on those things? You know who it was. Who was that? It was Zoe. Zoe just She was with me. I had her. I had my pinch hitter, and she, we could not find them. And Ow, I, man. Well, well here's, you got to. Here's you know, the problem, I don't know how she, I'll tell you the problem. You, oh, go for it, man. Is the, uh, the plants haven't grown yet. So the habitat, the structure's not there. The fish are dispersed. They're spread out. Oh, and scattered it out. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was sad. Well, <laughs> you probably have an overabundance of shoals and, and rock piles and stuff. So but many. I did notice, I love the weeds there. I love the aquatic plants. They're so different than here. Anyway, I'm thinking of what you could have gone on to instead, mm -hmm. and I started, I said, well, the second easiest fish to catch in that lake is pickerel, but but they need a weed bed too, right? Yeah, we did we did try for that, but they, the clients only wanted a two-hour fishing trip. Oh, And right. so we didn't have the time, and if, and if and what I should have John, done, John, is gone fishing for lake trout, because oh, okay. it's season for them. They're eating like crazy right now. They're easy to catch, and they didn't want to troll. They wanted to go catch a bunch of fish, so... Uh, well, that's real I life. Would... That's fishing. <laughs> that's right, man. That's right. We're not you here know, to you... talk about my failure. We're here to talk about tonight's show. We got a lot going on, and it's like a very Doc Martin heavy show today. Woohoo! We yeah. love Doc Martin. She's our number one. Yeah, Chief Science Correspondent Doc Martin. She shared a story with me a month or so ago, a uh, scientific article about bow fishing for carp. And I was very curious about it, and she wanted to come on the show and talk about it. So I interviewed Doc about her thoughts and my thoughts on that article. 
And then at the end of that article, um, she said, do you want me to go after some scientists and find out more information? And I'm like, yeah, go for it. And of course, you know, Doc, she goes for it. Oh, yeah. And who did, oh, she, yeah. get? Who did she get for us? She got us Jason Schooley, who is a uh, freshwater ecologist out of the Oklahoma fishing game. Uh, also happens to be a friend of the Oklahoma pond lady as just as an aside there. Um, fascinating, fascinating. He is their paddlefish expert, but he has a lot of expertise with these so-called non-game species and has done a wonderful paper on bow fishing for these fish. Right. And, and I had some pretty strong opinions, which we'll talk about after you hear the interview with me and Doc Martin, but before you hear the interview with Jason. And I also want to get John's opinion on bow fishing as well. John, should we wait till your opinion until after people hear the interview with me and Doc Martin, or do you think we should jump in with your opinion first? No, 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 no. Let's, let's let you and Doc yuck it up, and then you can have some of my opinion, and then we'll listen to Jason. All right. If, uh his uh, scientific analysis and then you can have some more of my opinion I, I love your opinion all right well why don't we get right on with it then first up is me and doc martin talking all about the science of bow fishing here we go settle down settle down oh boy we're so lucky <laughs> doc martin thanks thanks so much for making time out of your busy professoring schedule and parenting schedule to <laughs> to join us back on the podcast. I'm excited to have you because on Facebook, one of our avid contributors and listeners, David, I don't know how to say his name, Anthony Alonzo Shable, yes. uh, posted an article that happened to be connected with what you're doing over in Kansas, or people you know anyway in Kansas, all about nice. uh, the threat to freshwater fishing, which is bow fishing. And you chimed in that you have a point of view on it, so I thought we'd start with you. Well, I don't know if point of view is, is I have a point of view on so many things, Clay. I know but you do, and that's why I we like you. The reason I is because it's actually an aspect of what I do. I don't really talk much about on the podcast, so uh, listeners might not know, but I am the editor for a peer review science journal, uh, which is uh, a labor of love. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't get paid for that, do you? <laughs> is that what that means? <laughs> I actually, so I get, I get paid a little bit, but I actually calculated out like the hours that I work and then the pay that I get and it's, it's pre-tax pay. Mm -hmm. So then I like, I get the pay and then I have to pay a bunch back. Right. And right. so, um, it is not a lot, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually really like, it's really meticulous. So if we have any people that do editing work out there or build uh, PDFs and proofs, you're probably nodding along with me right now that it is a lot of effort, um, but it's really fun and I actually enjoy it a lot. And this is the cool thing. So this paper came out in 2020 um, and it was my very first, uh, that, that year in 2020, we have a spring issue and a fall issue. That was my first year as editor. Oh, so you saw this oh. and went, oh, that's me. I can, make <laughs> yeah, I, can I know I, something. <laughs> um, so at this point in, in 2020, of course, pandemic and all of that. And I had a little teeny tiny baby at home. And so um, I was only put in charge of like a couple of the papers for both issues um, just so I could figure out how everything went and, you know, contacting peer reviewers and getting all that done. Um, and then since then, I have taken over completely. So I'm the, re the uh, receiving and production editor now, which is that's fun. I really like it. Well, good. Um, but yeah, they published this. Uh, they said, hey, this was uh, came up on uh, some 
journal, some online. Yes, blog, uh, uh, blog.nature.org. Thank you, the Nature Blog, yep. uh, which, of course, uh, Nature is a pretty big journal, and that whole area is, like, I would say a very big deal internationally. But the paper that they cited, they said it came from Transactions of the Kansas Academy of Science. And I'm like, hey, that's me. <laughs> Does this count as being in nature? Because I feel like it could. Um and so then I clicked on the article, of course, and I was like, hey, I know those guys. I actually don't know if I've ever met them in person, but they publish a lot of their work in transactions. So I've had lots of correspondences with them. And if this is of interest, um, I you know, could reach out to one or both of the authors of this paper and see if they wanted to come on the show. Well, let me tell you, this, this, this is of interest. So, oh, it is of interest. Well, so I'll, tell you how I, I'll tell you how I know, Doc, because it's my okay. show. And... <laughs> And I get to decide. Are you interested? I, I am interested. And so I get to decide what's of interest to listeners. I'm in charge of whatever other people's happiness is. Clay I'm, is the decider. I'm the decider. I'm, and I'm decisive. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> so, um, okay. So uh, this paper is uh, from the, let's see, the fall, ver fall 2020 issue of Transactions. And it's bow fishing in the United States. History, status, ecological impact, and a need for management. Right, and I'll and say, was... and I'll say, I didn't read the the article you're reading. I read the article in Nature, so. Oh yeah, I, I, did, I, I didn't go to related. the source like you did. Yeah, they're related. Yeah, um, and so the general overview is um, bow fishing exists, and clay as the fisherman of the two of us. Mm -hmm. What is bow fishing? Bow fishing is when you hunt a fish with a bow and arrow and it's attached as a reel attached to your, to your bow and you catch the fish, reel them in. And almost all bow fishers I know are hunt and kill anglers, of course, because you're, you're not going to catch and release a fish after you stab it with your arrow. And almost all of them just kill the fish because they think that they are helping the environment. I think they're doing something good. Mostly, though, I think... I'll give my opinion right up front. I think mostly they like bowfish because it's really, really fun to to shoot a bunch of things. Um, I don't think they care much about the environment, but that's my, well, that's I my only know personal approach. Well, that's okay. I only know one bow fisherman, only mm -hmm. one. Um, and this person is maybe one of the most delightful people that I know. Of course, I'm very biased because I tend to think most people are very delightful. They so are. I'm with you on <laughs> you that. Know, yeah. There's that. Um, but they are actually incredibly environmentally conscious and they uh, do bow fishing uh, for very particular species. And then they actually do take them home and they clean them and like store the meat and they make uh, a bunch of food. They know all of their native species and the importance of them. They are very ecologically conscious. Well, that's, so the, that's the, the good kind of bow fisher. Yeah, we have very two different experiences yep. here. <laughs> I, I haven't met that person. I believe they exist. I'm glad they do. Uh, and, that, and that needs to be heard too. I know listeners, some of them are bow fishers and they're yelling at me right now. So I, I do want to, <laughs> uh, maybe I'll back down a little bit, but my, <laughs> my experience has been with people who just want to kill stuff. And I, and I get I'm sure that. Those people exist too, but I don't know very many bow fishermen, frankly. I, I, I just really don't. I don't know very many either. I read, you know, you read the articles uh, on different fishing Facebook groups and they just, they're just shooting a bunch of fish and they're usually they're going after like uh, invasive Asian carp. Uh, but you do see the occasional hitting uh, garfish and the gar is the one that makes me the saddest. <laughs> oh my gosh, I hate that! I, and and they're hunting these giant trophies, which is like your best breeders, your best like those are the big ones. And so I get so sad about that. Yeah, I I, I agree on the sadness, but I'm you know I don't 
I'm not much of an angler because it just makes me too sad. Anyway, oh, I know. So. I don't, I'm saying this. I'm about to go kill a trout and eat it. So it's, you know, <laughs> am I better? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Clay's not better than you, but he will judge you. <laughs> That's right. But but then I will judge myself after. I, I own some residual guilt. It's okay. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, a big problem with just understanding fisheries and sustainability and population and community dynamics and all of those things that scientists are interested in. One of the aspects, of course, of understanding any of those ecosystems and the fish that reside in there is understanding, you know, um, are they making the babies? How many babies are they making? Are those babies surviving? What is the fate of the adults? How long do they live when they die? What's the cause? How, you know, how many or how can we quantify each of those little aspects of um, the fish's life. So that way we get a really good idea of what good policy making means. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's in the perfect world, right? And it turns out it is a hot mess out there. Okay. okay. So um, we don't have a really good idea very often of exactly what is happening, especially in, you know, kind of unregulated, privately owned sections of rivers, lakes, and streams. Um, we can do some surveys on public lands that may or may not correlate to what's happening on private lands. Yeah, it's hard to think um, of that because, like in New Hampshire, you can't own water. So, oh yeah, in Kansas you can. Yeah, yeah, that's a very big difference. So, different rules in different states is going to vary from where you are. Yes, and if you're interested in that, by the way, uh, I had a graduate student. He just defended his master's thesis in March, and his um, whole thesis looks at how private ownership of waters and the attitudes of those landowners can impact uh scientific research oh i can that just sounds um, very interesting yeah. it is super interesting and so uh, we're hoping you know it won't be published for, for probably another year or two because peer review takes forever um but his thesis is done at least and so it, it would be available online probably in this summer and maybe we can have sean on and he can talk about it that'd be it's, amazing it's yeah. really interesting yeah. um but anyway, you know, part of that is we have to understand what fishermen are taking. And so we can do things like creel surveys. Uh, some of our listeners might have been involved in that where you have some nerd in a button up collared shirt with a little tag on there. Say, hey, I'm from U.S. Fish and Wildlife or whatever your local agency is. And we want to know what fish you're taking and how many. Um, and that's really great. And you might be the person that knows exactly what you took and caught and threw back. Um, but human memory is not super great. But, all, but also, <laughs> and, and all fishermen are liars. <laughs> uh, oh, maybe there's that too. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's def definitely that big. Oh, I should say fisher people or just fishers is what we say now. Anglers. Anglers. I like saying fishers. Fishers. But, yeah. Well, that's the little, that's the cute little mammal, which I also do like. Though, I do like them too. Yeah. Fishers are really cute. Anyway, um, <laughs> so there's a whole host of, of, issues with understanding what the dynamics are, what's being taken, what those, you know, what should the management of that system be based on what's being taken, but we don't always know what's being taken. And, you know, some people don't want to talk to us as scientists because of very understandable biases where, you know, they believe that we just sit up here in our ivory tower and judge people. And it turns out, you know, Clay's the guy that does that. It's, not it's me, all me. So. <laughs> Your fellow angler. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, and I, I get that general mistrust. I I, uh, I experience that a lot uh, mm -hmm. on the science side of things, but I can appreciate, you know, I myself uh, am 
a hater on authority, <laughs> which is an irony, right? Because I am an authority. So. Right. But, uh, you know, you're always fighting something. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, but the paper um, that these guys wrote from the Department of Fish and Wildlife Sciences at the University of Idaho and the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation in Oklahoma, um, they wanted to review the history and development of bow fishing. And they provided a case study of a high profile bow fishing tournament in Oklahoma. And then they, they, they basically did a survey. They summarized all of the management of the sport of across 50 states. And they, they're trying to understand what impact bow fishing could have on different kinds of species uh, and the environment. What does that mean for people that are managing things? What is, you know, if you're doing catch and release, I mean, you're, you're kind of not, right? right. So uh, non even a non-catch, if you're still wounding that uh, fish, it's, it's probably going to lead to its eventual mortality. Um Sometimes, you know, there's by bycatch of non-targeted native species, or sometimes maybe those native species are targeted. It, it depends a little on who's doing the fishing and what the goals are. Um, there is some great evidence that maybe bow fishing would be a great means for harvesting nuisance species uh, like the Asian carps. Uh, and then I do have to say here, all carp are Asian carp. Do we know true. that? We should know that. So all carp are Asian carp. So and they're all minnows. Uh, not anymore. They did no? a redesign. What? Oh shoot! I meant to. Uh, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, they did a whole taxonomic reclassification, and I think they removed the carps, so they're not the biggest minnows anymore. Oh my! Um, God. I've been saying that forever. I've been wrong for a long time. Yeah, no, they just, they, they, well, they've been chatting about this kind of, they, taxonomists, have they. been chatting about this for um, a, a quite a while, I guess, but apparently a, 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 a very important paper just dropped, I think last year, that said, hey, do carp do not belong in Cyprinoformes, uh, Cyprinidae anymore. Are they still in Cyprinidae? Dang it, Clay, I wasn't prepared for well, this. We'll but cycle back to carp talk. We'll, we'll do a whole thing. Okay. Because right, that's right, important. That's so put Very a pin in that. Yeah, that's, I have no idea. So oh, taxonomy is amazing. OK, anyway. Um, so, you know, maybe if we get bow fishermen or bow anglers, <laughs> hunters? I don't know what to do with I that. Think, I think if you're if you're bow fishing, you're bow hunting. I don't bow hunters. I don't think people who who are catching fish with a bow and arrow are fishing. Does fishing imply that it has the target species is a fish? Mm. Well, I don't know because they call crab angler they call crab crabbers fishers too. So crab fishing oh, is an industry, fish. and then there's lobster fishing. So I I don't know. I guess fishing. So is does a generic fishing term. just mean it's it's in the water? It's then? it's in water. And it's not a mammal or a bird. I guess. Well, then it'd have to be bow fishing because yeah, if it's so. lobster, fi I'm sorry, but if lobster fishing flies, bow fishing 100% flies. I, I'll, 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 I'll concede. <laughs> oh, there's an interesting argument to have there as well. Yep. Um, but uh, some of the other organisms that end up being impacted are some of the buffaloes, um, which are just adorable little suckers, um, and they're so cute. Uh, the paddlefish, some gars, um, and even some of the rays, so Batoidia there. And um, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff there that we don't really know and we don't really understand. 
Um, and this paper was kind of, you know, in Kansas. Well, I guess Oklahoma area. Um, one of the first ones that really tried to get a handle on what these impacts are and how this uh, bow fishery has developed, what are different rules for different kinds of uh, tournaments, and, and really like what kinds of management implications does this have? Is, is there anything that needs to be done about it or not? Um, and, and that's really it. It's, it's mostly like, hey, we don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, we should probably look into this. And that's what they did. They just had a good long look uh, about what is happening and any implications or knowledge that they, they could get from all the research that they did, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So they're just at this. This is like an early study. Now, there's hopefully more will grow out of this. And I guess. Yeah, oh, almost definitely. Almost yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. And some of the big concerns are some of these slow to reproduce fish. Is it buffalo? Yeah, or is it gar that don't reproduce every single year? It's they they do it on occasion. It's one of those fishes. Oh, just, I would think that that sounds like that sounds gar-y to me. Yeah, and, uh, and I, the way I understand it is is it's just not an annual thing for every kind of fish. And a lot of anglers think, you know, we take a bunch this year, all the ones left are going to spawn next year, and they'll be fine. And well, gar, uh, yeah, but I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, some of those fishes, they have different ages of maturity. They mm -hmm. don't necessarily, maybe they don't necessarily spawn every year, but they don't spawn until they reach a certain size. And then, of course, the larger they are, the more eggs they can hold for females, which is really important. So there's a lot of things that go into it's not it's not just the number mm -hmm. of things being harvested. It's not like, oh, well, if I leave some there, then the population will be fine. It's definitely not that simple. So, well. It's, it's, it's an interesting, interesting industry. And, you know, I've, I tried bow fishing once. Dave Kelman and I took uh, NHPR out once. They wanted to do bow fishing with us. We had never done it. And uh, <laughs> we tied a string to a bow, like a kid's bow and arrow set and went out in the river to try and get um, common carp, which we were going to eat. And uh, we just were shooting arrows into the water. We didn't see any fish. <laughs> it just seems like a really hard sport. But I guess if the fish are in big numbers and in shallow water, it's not that bad. So do you have past bow hunting experience? No, no, we're useless. We had no idea. Okay. We really we literally tied a string to a bow and arrow and shot into the river and pretended we knew something so we can get on the radio. So I've only, I've only tried um, – now, this would be just, I guess, archery with right. a, a bow, right? And right. I mean, that's like a whole other level of skill. Right. So I feel like you can't just pick up a bow and like shoot it into the water with a string attached, Clay. <laughs> that is, tr that seems like a true statement. Yeah, there is, there is, I mean, it is a skilled thing. Um, yeah. But, and I can see the appeal too. I didn't bend my arm, my elbow out enough. So I kept hitting it with the string and I got a huge like carpet burn bruise on the inside of my arm. Yeah, that's, that time. is, that tracks, that's familiar. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is hard and, and but it, it's, um, it, it's so hard cause it's, cause I, I'm a big fan of like eat what you kill and, and I don't know how I feel about like just hunting fish because they're invasive. I have mixed feelings about it. Cause on the one hand I get if you have all these fish that are just destroying everything, you got to get them out of there. But are but, they, ah, are the fish destroying the thing or was the thing already destroyed and those fish can survive there? Well, and that's a good question, especially when you talk about native fishes and stuff like in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. carp are not native. And so people consider them a nuisance. They're not doing much. They're not really destroying anything. 
Uh, but all, but also every other game fish, except for some of the trout we hunt here, we we fish for here. Excuse me, are um, also introduced species. Mm-hmm. You know, largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, all the sunfish we have in the state, um, and you know, plenty of other fish. But we don't look at them as nuisances because they've got a a, a economic value to the fishing game industry. Yeah, as long as as long as you're worth money, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> right, exactly. So I, if some of these other species that we call invasive had uh, economic value, maybe they would we would change how we thought about them. I my only counter argument is sometimes economic value is not representative of the true value of a thing. Oh, I well, I, of course, I agree with you on that. I'm just saying, <laughs> this is how Americans think about things. It's yeah, totally... oh, I know, I know. I'm just maybe saying, maybe we could rethink. I would, I would like to rethink that, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, base things on on data and information. But that's not how. Things... Oh, Clay, data! How dare you? <laughs> that's not how things work. <laughs> but what was your so, big anyway. takeaway from the article? What did you What did you discover? Well, obviously, a lot I just didn't know. I would say pretty much everything in there was news to me because I am mostly unfamiliar with bow fishing and any of what, how much, how many fish bow fisher anglers take. (laughs) And uh, I didn't know that it was so widespread. Like I said, I only, I only know one person that does it. I mean, maybe there's others. I just know of this one person who happens to do it, but it sounds like it's, gaining popularity uh there's large tournaments i i'm going to be completely honest here i had no idea that bow fishing tournaments were even a thing so that like i just learned a lot well you know maybe it'd be interesting to get a listener who does bow fishing on the show to talk about their point of view of it because i'd love to hear from a from a bow fisher about what they do how they do it why they do it you know and get and get the details instead of just my you know flippant point of view of like it's not fishing (laughs) <laughs> so, well, hey, if you're listening and you're a bow fisher angler person yeah. then you should talk to clay yeah if you're yelling at your at me on the computer right now let's do it in real life it'd be fun <laughs> no yelling i'll be i'll be there i'll be on your side and it'll be me and you versus clay and all of his judgment <laughs> perfect I, i'll you know the nice thing about my judgment though doc is i back down quick like, <laughs> once once i realize either i'm wrong or i hurt someone's feelings like the judgment goes away <laughs> usually both things <laughs> so so but yeah it was just really interesting and so you know if you are a bow fisher person then you already might know some of this stuff but if you're like me and just had no idea that this was as big as it was um you can go on to the nature blog and read the non-technical overview or you can go uh the there's a free version of this paper that the authors actually did uh, available online and you can read the whole scientific article yourself. Yep. And I'll put a link up in the show notes and in the, in the actual article on the nature blog, there is a link to that article that you're talking yep. about. So very easy to find, easy read and just worth just more discussion. So doc, let's follow up with, with, uh, was it Miller? Oh, uh, Dennis and Jason, yeah. the authors. Yeah. The authors and, and see if we can get them on the show. I'd love to get their point of view. And also very curious of like, you know, how about, you know, their methodology and how they went out. I will, I will try. I can tell you, as you might already uh, have imagined that those guys work for um, the, you know, local fish and wildlife units and field season is upon us. So they might be busy. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah, I think uh, right when kind of that spring hits mid, mid to late March, uh, the summers get 
pretty intense. So I will go ahead and reach out to them. But uh, for you and the listeners, just know that it might take some time to be able to get folks in a seat inside. Right. In the meantime, if you are Bo Fisher, send me an email, clay at fishnerds.com. If you want to come on the show, give me your point of view. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm right. And uh, I'm happy to be wrong. That's fine with me. I'm good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's okay to be wrong as long as you're not going to be a curmudgeon and, you know, be better about it, right? (laughs) I have lots of other things to be a curmudgeon about besides that. (laughs) And we're back. So, John, I I feel like about bow fishing, I can come full circle on my opinion on what I think about it. Mostly, though, I don't like it. But I can be convinced. Well, I'm here to play uh the middle ground i'm a big centrist man you know i like that i i i um all right for uh you know bow fishing gets bad rap because there's a lot of jackasses that do it like everything and like <laughs> yeah like you say you know they're just out to kill and and then they want to color themselves as some sort of uh ecological hero for taking out gar because they eat all the bass or taking out whatever uh, you know and what's those bucket biologists that get me down they think they're yeah it really gets me down but hook and line also has its share of these types so well right i mean are we better people because we're putting a piece of metal through their face and not through their back well (laughs) it's but i'm glad that she has a friend that is you know shows that i've only known a couple bow fishers and they were all right square shooting people Mm -hmm. uh that had a real concern and a real care for the uh, ecosystem and the species they were pursuing. So let's not let the bad nicks because negativity, negativity, negativity is as too big a footprint as it is right now. It, it, psychologically, we know it, it, it hits harder. Sure. And that's why a lot of people do it. And a, a very, very small minority can make enough noise to make it seem like they're the majority when they're not. That's true. Now, John, you know, as much as I, complain about bow fishing if someone said hey clay you want to go bow fishing what would i say yes yes and i would go do it <laughs> so, so i very quickly uh learned that i prefer to fish than not fish even if it's bow fishing well let me ask you something sure. clay because you know i've been listening to this show for quite a while now and mm-hmm. really dig it and and um, see it as an educational tool to help improve the situation no matter what we're talking about have you ever had a spear fisher on this show I have interviewed Noob Spiro the, from the spot, uh, Spearfishing Podcast. Yes, I have. And yes, I've also spearfished. There you go. Now, my whole thing is you're shooting a spear out of a dealy whopper with a mm-hmm. CO2 cartridge, mm-hmm. or you're using a bow. Um, where's the harm? So, Well, I'll tell you what, John. I, mostly what I've seen with bow fishing, and this is probably my bias, is I've seen the big hunt to kill piles and piles of fish. And, right, and I don't like I, that. Makes me uncomfortable, even though I understand the idea of getting rid of invasives. So it's well, when I you you saw you mentioned you saw that that article from David mm-hmm. uh, Shable, and uh, I hope David, I'm saying that right. If I'm not, I apologize. But that's what we we concentrate. That's what makes the news. That you know, sure. journalism doesn't thrive on hey, everything's going great and everybody's doing right. Because that because because most people do right, therefore it's not noteworthy. Exactly. Right. So we see this picture of all these poor buffalo just dead piled at this boat ramp where every single person that uses that boat ramp, that parking lot's got to smell that. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like they dumped it there saying, hey, you know, we're the you know, we've got uh, um, we've got the biggest PP contest going on here. And uh, look at what we did. Um, 
I, you know, but once again, that that inflates the um, idea that there's a whole lot of badniks out there doing this. Absolutely. Kind of thing. And, and I have no doubt that I am biased because of that. I am 100 percent. 100 percent is where my 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 opinion probably got ruined from is those kind of things. Well, I quit a couple of uh, hunt fish groups here and Facebook groups here because of these types of people that uh, want to defend things like dumping, doing whatever the hell they mm -hmm. want to do. And I, you know, challenge them that uh, whipping your kid with a coat hanger because he steps in front of the episode of mama's family that you're trying to watch may be legal, but it's not ethical and it's not right. Well, which episode? So Cause mama's family is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and i i don't have any problem with it but um uh, uh maybe we should get on uh to uh jason schooley yeah uh, but but before we go can i just do a real quick thing about kansas waters because i hate, yeah. hate to correct doc martin who is an actual professor not just nicknamed the professor mm -hmm. and um it great kansas you guys are really lucky it seems like your water laws are pretty simple in new hampshire you can't own it can't own it so you can be out on it right right water is actually public property in kansas it is a commons and if you want to pump surface water or ground water over an area bigger than two acres you've got to get a permit to do so but public access to streams only extends to where there is some sort of public right to do so so mm -hmm. you either go out on the navigable rivers the call the mo and the arkansas which is how we say arkansas in kansas mm -hmm. um because <laughs> it's our river not theirs arkansas um, yep yeah and uh, or the stream in question has to flow through some public land either federal or state uh like uh, certain sections of the meredith scene right. uh small craft enthusiasts and fisher folk like me have been you know struggling for decades to try to expand stream water access saying that since it's a commons we should be able to float down the river if, if we don't get out of our boats well let me ask so but, that, so wait so the role rule now is if you if, if someone owns both sides of a piece of river they can make that stretch private property and deem it no trespassing is that what you're saying exactly they own the stream bed but when people have gone to court uh for a variety of reasons uh the courts the uh, farmers rule in this state and the courts have consistently sided with private landowners in all cases of water access, uh, picking private interest over the public good. And um, other states like Texas, you can float down rivers because water is common in Texas. But if a farmer asks you what you're doing, don't just get right up in his face. That's what they'll tell you. Don't don't make a big deal out of I it. Just float past. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and, and, and so on. And, and I see their side of it because people litter, people chase cattle just as, uh, to get their jollies. People do rotten things to farmers and it's, it's not a good deal, but I just, just wanted to let you know that we have the, maybe the weirdest commons law yeah. <laughs> in well, the whole United States. Cause that's, that's kind of how it works. It's not private water's not owned, but private landowners are still king in Kansas. Yeah, no, that's true with a lot of ponds in our state. And you can't own the water, but you can own the entire land around the pond. And yeah, so, so you, you can access. You can limit access. You can still say no. You, know, you, you don't have to give public access unless the water is managed by the state. So if the state is stocking in it, then it becomes public. And they have to allow public access. So like a private pond, even though you technically don't own the water, no one else can use it because you can mark it on no trespassing, but the state's not managing it either. They're not putting tax money into putting the fish in it for you. So well, that's, you know, see, yeah, that wild. makes sense. And yeah. 
And uh, although I talked to a realtor the other day who told me I was wrong about New Hampshire water rights, and he said that he bought a property he owns to the middle of the river, the liquid part of the river. And I said, really? And he goes, yep. So I can mark my river no trespassing. I said, good luck with that, because I think he's wrong. But now i got well, du- to double check it. Well, I would check it because I bet, you know, we can't access it through your private ground. Right. But if we launch off the public bridge up here, then I bet we can float through it yeah. now and can't, but maybe not. I, when I when I went to guide school, what I was told by fish and game officers was the way access to water in New Hampshire works is if you're in the water, you're fully, you can do whatever you want. You're in the water. You step out of the water, they can ask you to leave the property. And if it's posted, if it's not posted, no trespassing, you're guaranteed access until they ask you to leave. So it has to be specifically posted, no trespassing. Otherwise, you can access land to the water. Well, see, that's that's interesting. And I think every state probably has its own. I'm sure they do. The cool thing, the cool <laughs> thing about the navigable navigable rivers in Kansas, the call, the Mo and the Arkansas is that you're on them. You can go anywhere up to the waterline you yeah. want private property or whatever that's and how it should be because these rivers have insane flooding on them from time to time mm-hmm. the water line extends oh so the 10, water 20, line 30 100 yards oh. clear off <laughs> oh that's shocking i find that surprising because like i owned waterfront property i owned to the water's edge and when the water was low i owned more property and when it was high i owned less property so it, well there you go there it is so it's confusing water water rights are wacky and we could probably do a whole hour on them yeah, but it's not interesting. Let's get back to what is interesting. That's what I'm trying to tell you, John. <laughs> <laughs> We're geeking out here. Let's get on with uh, biologist Jason Schooley. How about it? How about it? Hey, everybody. So uh, Doc Martin here with an extra special guest today to talk more about bow fishing and hopefully answer all of the burning questions that you want to know about what the scientific understanding is about bow fishing. And so I would like to welcome Jason Schooley to the podcast. Jason, say hello. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me, Erica. Yeah, no worries. And so um, first, I guess we'll start with uh, who are you and why are you? What are you doing here? Wow, the existential questions. Um, (laughs) Well, as you said, my name is Jason Schooley. I professionally go by Jason D. Schooley. Um, My family calls me JD, so I don't want to ignore that middle initial. Um, I'm a senior fisheries biologist with Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation, uh, stationed out of the Tulsa metro area. Um, Most of my work keeps me in the northeast corner of the state. Um, I I was hired by the state in 2010 as a paddlefish biologist. So that's my primary responsibility is managing paddlefish statewide. And the topic of our conversation today, obviously, is not paddlefish, it's bow fishing. Um, But uh, paddlefish being a non-game species um, pursued by anglers recreationally um, and somewhat long-lived and difficult to manage. So there's a lot of crossover between paddlefish and the other non-game species targeted by bow fishing. So that really kind of was the bridge to my interest in bow fishing. And I'm not the bow fishing biologist for Oklahoma. There's no such thing. Um, But uh, my interest was sparked in it when uh, a major uh, bow fishing tournament came to my hometown. 
and uh, started kind of looking into the sport and really sort of discovered that there wasn't a lot of research out there, published research on the sport and, and its rapid growth. And so uh, my collaborator, Dr. Dennis Skarnecki at University of Idaho, we've done lots of work on paddlefish with, uh, we both kind of got together and, and, and said, hey, maybe this is a sort of a field of study that needs a little bit of attention. So we've been kind of using this as, a, I don't want to call it a pet project, but it's it's not really part of either of our official duties. Um, but fortunately, we've both had the freedom to, to look at it and spend a lot of time thinking about it. And we've really enjoyed the process of sort of being on, I don't want to really call it the cutting edge of anything, but um, sort of getting the message out there and, and watching people react. And I think it's been a, a good experience for me so far. Great. So the this first paper came out in, uh, it looks like the fall issue in 2020, so autumn of 2020. Um, yes. And it's in uh, Transactions of the Kansas Academy of Science. And the title is Bow Fishing in the United States, History, Status, Ecological Impact, and a Need for Management. And so um, you said that a tournament came to your hometown and it, you just kind of what you're like, what is this? Had you heard of bow fishing before or what really sparked you to look further into the culture uh, and maybe effects of bow fishing on the ecosystem? Yeah, I think I can probably relate to most state managers when I say that bow fishing has kind of flown under the radar for a lot of us. Um, and when, when that big tournament came to the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, it really kind of sparked my interest, but also revealed some things to me that we couldn't just simply write a paper about the tournament and, and sort of what we thought the impacts of the sport would be. That's why we ended up writing such a giant paper. I think it's 54 pages long and yes. transactions of the Kansas Academy of Science, which you're now the editor, were very gracious to allow us to publish such a giant paper in their journal. Uh, it was kind of difficult because we really cover like seven major topics in the paper. And, you know, most journals don't want to go down that road. We were suggested to actually break it up into two or three different papers. And hmm. we kind of stuck to our guns a little bit and uh, really wanted to put it out sort of as a foundational document on the sport, its history, uh, sort of a need for management and and sort of give a preview of what sort of impacts this sport potentially has on some of these understudied native non-game species like the buffalo fishes, the gars, etc. And so we we really kind of wrote it with state managers as the intended audience. We wanted to introduce state managers to this sport, which is happening nationwide, legal in 50 states, but generally uh, very little to none uh, management occurring. Um, very few regulations on the sport, Oklahoma in particular. And uh, so we really wanted to sort of highlight what are the challenges with the sport and why we think it should be sustainably managed like we do all other fisheries. Great. Yeah, this is a beast of a paper that covers so many different topics. Um, I particularly liked your opening where you have several quotes from some very wide variety mm -hmm. uh, of um, 
sources. So you you quote USA Archery, but also Margaret Atwood and Relentless Angling. And really just this is an, an overview or an introduction to ideally, you said like state managers that might not be aware that this is a sport uh, or that there are tournaments happening. Uh, what is the purpose of bow fishing? How widespread is it? What could be some of the ecological impacts? That's a lot of information, yeah. um, especially if you're going on the assumption that the person to whom you're writing to doesn't know anything. Uh, yeah. And so uh, why don't we just assume uh, for a minute, maybe not a crazy assumption, that I also know nothing about bow fishing yeah. and its impacts. And so... Uh, Starting just with this paper as an introduction, what are some of the things that in working on this one you discovered that you were like, oh my gosh, people need to know about this? Okay. Um, I Really, that's tough to answer because we didn't really know what people knew. And so I think fundamental to the paper was sort of reaching out to all the 50 states, the state agencies that are responsible for managing fish and wildlife and sort of pick their brains a little bit. Um, that's why this was sort of, like I said, a foundational, uh, let's see what happens sort of paper. We didn't really know how bowfishers were viewed or how, how, the, how, how managers perceived the sport in all the states. So it was kind of shocking to me that to see that, you know, it is legal in all states. Um, you know, some states regulate fishing in very different ways. Um, for example, in Oklahoma, it's legal unless we tell you it isn't. Whereas the flip side occurs in other states where it's illegal unless we specifically tell you you can do it. So it was sort of a surprise to me for a sport that is, is legal in all 50 states. Um, also, most states did, you know, report having tournaments happening. Um, so that's, that's an indicator that, you know, the tournament or that bow fishing is, you know, taken seriously by some bow fishers in those states. Um, but very few states actually had bow fishing education programs. And, and that's really unfortunate. Uh, I know that 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 sort of avenue is expanding. And I can't necessarily speak to where we sit in 2023, um, but I would presume that there are more states with bow fishing education programs than that. Whereas there were only nine that reported having education programs back in 2020. Yeah, because part of this paper, you surveyed all 50 states and their agencies to see what they knew. That's a mm -hmm. lot. That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, well, we we have the magic of online surveys now so it's we're not having to travel there and talk to them but yeah that i thought that was an important component and we had really high um cooperation high reporting rate from the states i think only one or two states didn't respond um other things that were surprising well not necessarily surprising but um interesting to see that many states had very common management concerns. Um, and for a lot of this, you could replace the word bow fishing with any other sort of angling type. And we, you would see the similar sort of responses. Most of the state agency concerns related to data inadequacies, which was sort of the reason we put the paper together to begin with. Um, so that was good to see confirmation on, on things like that. Most states 
did not uh, have much data on who bow fishers are, where they're practicing the sport, how they're doing it, and what species they're targeting. And I think those are, those are critical data needs to manage any fishery sustainably. Uh, a lot of states were also concerned with wanton waste and really more of the public perception and sort of ethical aspects of shooting fish and potentially leaving their carcasses. Um, that's a, a big concern for a lot of state managers. Um, but then really kind of under all of this, the important thing is the species themselves being shot. There, there really wasn't a lot of published knowledge out there on these non-game species. And that, that has been changing uh, in a positive way. We've seen a lot of non-game research come out of the Alec Lackman lab in particular up in Minnesota, North Dakota areas. Um, so we're really making great strides on understanding these species and learning about how they do have really high conservation value due to their longevity, um, potentially intermittent or episodic recruitment. Uh, so they don't, they're not spawning every year. They live a long time. So how do you manage species like that? You have to do it conservatively. You can't do it with unlimited harvest. And so states are coming on to this now. And this has been a really great conversation with lots of state managers ever since we put this paper out in 2020. Right. And so um, a lot of you've kind of alluded to this, a lot of the target species that the bow fishermen or bow fisher people are targeting uh, would be generally classified as non-game fish. Is that an accurate assessment? Yes, that's accurate. Uh, and a lot of that is due to the way states such as Oklahoma um, kind of regulate different fishing methods. So they generally reserve the game species for only hook and line methods. And we can get into a social discussion on why they're valued more than non-game species, but maybe that's a little more than we need to get into. But bow fishing and snagging and like trot lines or jug lines are often only legal for non-game species. So you can't go out and, and shoot a bunch of largemouth bass. Um, they're generally reserved for hook and line only. And so when you have a specific list of species in your state statutes that are identified as game species or sport species, depending on your state, um, everything else by default is the other or the non-game species. And those other fish, you can take them whatever method you want. Hook and line, great. You can also shoot them with a bow and arrow or snag them with a hook uh, or noodle them with your hands. Uh, so it really just kind of comes down to what methods are legal for those species. Um, and bow fishing is typically only legal for non-game species. Um, and talking about bow fishing, you have a whole section in this paper on kind of the history of gears and technology. Uh, the background mm -hmm. there is very impressive and it's kind of cool to look at some of the old figures and photos that you've included there. Um, and so what have you seen with the technology for bow fishing over since you've been doing this research? Ooh, since I've been doing the research, um, 
I think for the most part, the evolution of bow fishing kind of happened post 2010. Um, we obviously had big strides come in with the development of the compound bow. Uh, historically, only long bows or recurve bows were used for bow fishing. And now with compound bows, obviously, it, it lowered the barriers for people to participate in the sport because you could you didn't have to be as strong. And you, and you could hold the bow at, at full draw for longer. Uh, so I think that that lowered some barriers for participation in the sport and made it a little more fun and exciting. Um, but really, we, we document in the paper like sort of an explosion in like patent applications for bow fishing equipment, everything from different types of arrowheads to different types of reels, different types of sights. But then, you know, there's a whole ecosystem surrounding that with, you know, development of custom built and uh, modified boats that are intended to be used for bow fishing and they cost tens of thousands of dollars, um, air boats that are used specifically for bow fishing. Um, so it's it is, to say that it's it's a big industry is an understatement. I mean, there are numerous corporations now that that manufacture equipment specifically for bow fishing. And underlying all that is is another challenge of the sport uh, and its management because there's there's funding concerns. Um, you know, the sport fish restoration program provides a lot of funding from excise taxes on fishing equipment and boat sales. Um, but when you have a sport that kind of straddles the line between hunting and fishing and excise taxes on bows support wildlife, terrestrial uh, research and conservation. Mm. And, you know, it. most of the equipment used in bow fishing is not going back into sport fish restoration funding. And that was actually one of the questions Clay and I had a discussion about uh, your work and the, the uh, where it appeared on the Nature blog uh, last week. And we had the question of, is this hunting or fishing, right? Because, you know, usually fishing, you're thinking of hooks or something that's not involved here. Is it fishing because you are targeting fish? Is that good enough? Uh, but here's another avenue of that kind of questioning where you're, you're purchasing or the people that are bow fishing are purchasing equipment where that money usually goes back into conservation aspects yes. for those species. And in this case, it wouldn't, right? You're missing that whole group where they're using it for something. And then that money's not going towards that something that they're targeting. Yes. And it makes it harder for states to, to use that sport fish money to study non-game fish targeted by the sport of bow fishing because the bow fishing funds are not directly going back into the resource management um yeah it's 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 a, one of the many 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 challenges of, of bow fishing management uh is the funding and we actually put out a, a paper specifically addressing this concept in fisheries i want to say it was winter of 2021 it, i think it was the second paper we put out where we approach the concept that the sport fish restoration program could be sort of tweaked to include bow fishing management. And we sort of advocate for why we think that uh, that could and should be done. Um, but yeah, the funding is a challenge for sure. 
Uh, yeah. And so this is a great segue because this, this paper was your first one, right? In, in the autumn of 2020 and you have yeah. done subsequent papers since then. So what kind of research has, th- did this paper spark and get you into? And then what else have you learned uh, since this has come out? Yeah, it's a big question. Um, this, this first paper in transactions at Kansas Academy was like you said, the first and while 2020 doesn't seem like that long ago, um, we're, I guess we're officially four years down the road. And that's that's a big period of time when you consider a rapidly expanding sport. Uh, so one of the concerns we had was we need to learn information. We had to sort of focus inward. Like we started out looking at what's the national status of this sport? What are the management concerns in common held by state agency managers across the country? Um, what is the history of the sport, et cetera? Now we need to look inward. How is this sport impacting um, our species in Oklahoma? How many bowfishers do we have? Where are they fishing, et cetera? Those are those, those data inadequacies that we identified in the first paper. And so we started by developing a statewide bowfishing survey in Oklahoma and we published that paper in 2022 i guess it was spring of 2022 in the north american journal of fisheries Ma- uh, management titled oklahoma bow fishing values and perspectives towards non-game fishes and their management so it wasn't simply just a survey of bow fishers my goal at the time was to to have the survey be about non-game fishes and so we wanted to solicit survey responses, not only from bow fishers, but from non-bow fishers. Not only bow fishers, but non-bow fishers. Um, because bow fishers within our constituency only made up a, a fairly small percentage of all licensed anglers. And so while it's important to know and understand and listen to their needs, um, they still do make up a very small minority of our license holders. So we need to also prioritize the needs and desires of non fishers. So we took that opportunity and surveyed both and asked them lots of questions about what, what are your thoughts on the, the appropriate use of non-game fish, disposition or fate of fish after they've been shot or caught? Um, what do you do with fish you catch? Uh, so we learned a lot of interesting things, but but key among those findings was we were actually able to put a number on how rapidly bow fishing is growing in Oklahoma. So we surveyed all anglers back in 2018, and and 4% reported that they bow fished. Now we did this survey again in 2020. That number jumped from 4% to 9.1%. So we oh, wow. saw more than a doubling in the course of two years for bow fishing. Now, if if that sort of rate of expansion is happening nationwide, then this is really something we need to be looking at as state man, state managers. Not only was the growth rapid, but for all those people who did not participate, who reported that they didn't bow fish, nearly a third of them said they would like to. And so there's great interest in the sport for people that aren't even doing it. So we would expect that to result in continued growth of the sport. I mean, in fact, nearly half of the bow fishers 
that we surveyed had only been doing it for three years or less. So uh, most people doing it now are new to the sport and people that aren't doing it are interested in doing it. And the, the barriers they cited for why they hadn't tried it were simply uh, about information. So as this information just continues to grow on social media, YouTube, guide industry, et cetera, uh, we expect bow fishing to continue expanding in Oklahoma. So um, other things from that work directly, like I said, we were interested in what people's opinions on non-game fish were. And part of that deals with what do bow fishers do with the fish they shoot. Um, when, when they shoot a fish, it has some fate. And whether or not the fate of that fish is a beneficial use or if the fish is simply being shot for sport was one of my key questions. Well, 48% of bow fishers reported that they use the fish for fertilizer or they bury them. 32% said they use them for human consumption and 20% throw them back in the water. Um, so that last 20% is what initiated the next study I'm going to discuss, but the idea of acceptable outcomes for these living, breathing, non-game fish that have long lifespans and whether or not shooting them has a beneficial use is sort of the through line for, for this survey paper and sort of what my thought process is when I'm looking at this. So 48% were simply used as fertilizer or burial. And I would encourage other states if they do this survey to be very specific in how you ask this question. Because if I shoot 20 fish, I take them home, I dig a hole and throw them in it, is that fertilizer? I don't know. You tell <laughs> me. Do they think that's fertilizer? Is it fertilizer? So differentiating between simply disposal and a, a beneficial use that, you know, helps your garden grow. I think that that's an important distinction that we don't fully understand right now. And do you have an idea in, in your surveys of just when bow fishers are shooting fish of the fish that are, don't go back into the water. So they don't ever return to the water. Are they staying on or near the site or being transported somewhere else? Do you have an idea of that differentiation? We don't necessarily know that. Um, we have put in some, some rules regarding disposing of fish carcasses, and we already had some rules regarding that. So we actually initiated a, a rule change a couple of years ago that you could not dump fish remains within a certain distance from an access point. So we were trying to approach that, that whole perception, ethical issue, which is not exclusive to bow fishing. I mean, we have white bass anglers who are, are just capitalizing on the, the, the spawning run in the spring river. And then they would fillet all their fish at the boat ramp and throw all their fish carcasses right next to the ramp. So that's unsightly and it's, it's unsafe if you've got kids walking around and bare feet. Um, so we're not picking on bow fishers when we make that rule. I mean, just dump your fish remains away from the boat ramp. 
or away from the boat dock. Uh, that's a fairly simple thing. Um, but as far as where are they being disposed of, we don't necessarily know. We presume that some are taken home, but but we do know that they reported, you know, one in five reported that they return them to the water. So are they simply dumping them in the shallows or are they shooting them and, and releasing them immediately, which is the topic I want to transition to next. Mm -hmm. Shoot and release is, uh, it seems like a crazy concept that you would put an yeah, arrow do they through, survive, right? Like put an arrow through a fish and and then release it. Mm -hmm. However, it is um, sort of through legal loophole, a legal practice in in Oklahoma and seven other states. Interesting. So we surveyed all fifty states and and found that it is legal in eight states to shoot a fish with a bow and arrow and throw it back in the water. So our last study that we did is about to be published in North American Journal of Fisheries Management, and it specifically looked at shoot and release mortality, which seems like a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. You would expect high mortality from fish shot with a bow and arrow. Unfortunately, we have a constituency who some of them feel that it's acceptable to shoot fish and then release them, citing that most of them are going to survive because they're not shot in a mortal way. Um, and so hmm. we were tasked with investigating this uh, as a precursor to trying to propose that we prohibit shoot and release in Oklahoma. So our study... Could you guess what the mortality rate for shot fish was? I mean, like, I want to say 100%, but I'm sure it's not that high. Uh, it's It's got to be high, right? I mean, I just can't imagine. Fish are pretty robust, right? Like, they yeah. are good at surviving. They're good at swimming. They can, they can take hits. I know that. I know that. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, arrows, I would think, aren't really designed to be friendly things right like no. that's that's pretty intense so i, I would think the mortality is going to be over 50 percent. yeah yeah and the, the you're you're spot on with that comment about the, the goal of an arrow is to cause damage and to kill and we actually approach that from you know like a sociological standpoint very briefly in the paper and and just to circle back, you, you said you loved all the quotes, the epigrams is what they are in our 2020 paper. And anytime I publish a paper with Dr. Skarnakia and you see those, thank him because he <laughs> he is such a master of the literature that these papers would be so much more boring if it were just me doing this. He He really adds a lot of character and he thinks about the history and the sociology and the politics and the philosophy of it all, to be honest. So I just want to give him that kudos and let you know it's him, not me. Um, for shot fish, our overall mortality rate was 87% when we observed the fish for five days in a convalescent lakeside aerated shaded swimming pool 
Oh, that's pretty good odds then, because that's a nice area. <laughs> yeah, and we we also had control fish that we caught the electrofishing, and we put them in the same convalescent pools with the shot fish. We had zero percent mortality, no. so we were able to partition out handling mortality as zero. Um, but fish did not survive equally. We, we examined where were they shot and what tissues were damaged in that process. But overall, 60% of the mortalities occurred within 12 hours. And mortality was still increasing after up to five days when we now, ended, the, ended the experiment. And these fish also, they're shaded, they're protected. So you're probably not getting predators, right? Because these no. would be slim pickings for predators of, of these wounded fish. I mean, that would for be sure. it, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. If if for some reason they were, you know, doing death spirals on the surface of the lake and they would just be attacked by birds. I mean, th they have no chance. Um, so, yeah, this was the best case scenario for survival of these fish shot with arrows well we actually found that most of the fish 78 percent were shot in the head internal organs or mm. the spine those fish had 96 percent mortality within five days the fish who were shot in non-mortal ways which was only 22 percent of the fish they still had a 52 percent mortality rate so the best case scenario if a fish is shot in the tail or a fin and held for five days in a convalescent environment, it still has a poorer chance of survival than a coin flip. <laughs> oh, that's not. And when right. we when we compare this to, which we we thought it was appropriate to compare, other people disagree. But when we compare this to hook and line catch and release mortality studies, which there are many mm -hmm. published studies, um, one in particular that we cited heavily looked at many different species in many different bodies of water, different states, etc. found very few examples where catch and release mortality was over 60%. Most were under 30%. Mm -hmm. And 30% was considered high. So is it tenable to manage bow fishing as a shoot and release and or catch and release sport? Our professional opinion in our conclusions is no. It needs to be managed as 100% mortality uh, event, sport, where um, anything shot is kept and... And then, then you transition to the conversation of, are there any bag limits? Should there be? Um, so this was just one important step in that process. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're getting there. <laughs> it's, yeah. There's so many different challenges that we can only take on one or two at a time. That's why I, I understand like just the more data that you have and understanding, you know, what species are preferred and what are what's the outcome of those individuals and how much are being taken and what time are, is this happening you know are we bow fishing in december or in june right all that stuff matters yeah. um regardless of all of that you might have some folks that are like 
I don't really want you to manage this because I don't think that that's necessary. Um, now, talking to me, I think management is very important because it's a longevity thing, right? It's so that I can enjoy yeah. it and my children's children can enjoy it. That's how I view management is it's not a punishment for me. It's to make sure that I understand that if I have this impact on the environment, that's a sustainable impact where I can still do the thing that I enjoy, but also other people in perpetuity can do that thing as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's an attitude that's like, you know, management is a hindrance on the fun that I want to have. And I was just wondering, you know, how have you dealt with those kinds of questions or situations where you don't have a lot of information, but you know that management is necessary, um, what do you, you know, what, what are you going to do about that? I guess I mean, you don't have to have an answer. Cause that's a very, you know, abstract question. No, it's, it's an important question. And this has been, uh, I don't want to call it a stumbling block, but sort of a way that has helped me sort of fine tune my thoughts on the concept. Um, cause it is difficult to come to your, your commission and say, I think we need to change this rule for these ethical reasons but the rule change process leans heavily on data scientific data and if i don't have those data from my state it's very difficult for me to make that argument um but i've, I've continually tried to lean on the whole idea of the north american model of fish and wildlife conservation which we have beaten that drum in all of our papers. We've used words like responsible, ethical, sustainable, etc. But none of this is revolutionary. This is these are standard practices that we're using for nearly all other fish species and all other methods to catch them. Um, we have lots of rules around how many fish of what species you can keep, what methods you can use, when you can use them. Do you need to label your stringer? We have very small, minuscule rules on hook and line anglers, but for the most part, we have none regulating bow fishers. And that Wild West offers a lot of freedom for them. And I understand that if, if they feel threatened, that these regulations are harming the, their ability to practice the sport uh, successfully, satisfactorily, etc. Um, but we have a responsibility as managers of state resources, aquatic resources, wild animals, to do that. Um, respectfully sustainably and so i honestly in light of the information we know about these species targeted which we really kind of only glossed over that but some of these species easily live 50 to 100 years and they don't reproduce every year um, we just don't know enough about them because the funding mechanisms like we talked about earlier don't allow it um, so is it responsible to, to allow a growing sport to take them without limit? I don't think so. Um, so those are the challenges that I'm, I'm dealing with and other people in my position are dealing with is how do we, how do we gather enough information 
to make positive changes a little step at a time. And hopefully, eventually we'll find a place where we've got managed, sustainable, well thought out bow fisheries in the same way that we have sustainable and well thought out, you know, seasons for hunting deer. I mean, it's, it's really no different. Although these fish live 10 times as long. So it's a little more challenging. And I mean, fish generally are cooler than deer. No offense oh, to the hunters out there. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Jason, we are out of time. We we talked for a little bit longer than I had anticipated. Uh, this has been absolutely great. Um, is sure. there any any final thoughts or um, maybe concerns or tidbits of information that you want to share before we go? Um, put me on the spot now, but uh, yeah, I think you know I'm going to keep trying to talk to managers, fisheries managers, biologists, technicians, et cetera, and, and try to get them curious about these sorts of things as well. Um, we're not going away. We're going to continue just to do as much research as we can, uh, try to advocate for non-game fish species, try to mobilize funding, um, get people looking at these species and finding ways to manage them sustainably. And of course, bow fishing is one aspect of that. Um, so I just really encourage state managers to to ask the hard questions, to survey their constituents, and to do a better job of understanding um, the challenges with this sport and whether or not it's impacting our native non-game fish resources. Awesome. Great. Uh, if our listeners want to know more, uh, you mentioned some of the articles that are coming out so they can go and look those up. Is there uh, any website or social media that they can look for to hear about what you have going on? Yeah, you can access all of our work on this topic and all my paddlefish stuff by uh, just going to ResearchGate and you can search for my name. Um, anything that's published, I'll put on there. And feel free to contact me through that website if you have further questions about particular papers. But also, um, you know, you can you can find me. Uh, I am on Twitter, uh, Dirty Dog Six Fifty. All right, that's, that's random, but uh, my my Twitter account is not an official representative of the Department of Wildlife, so you'll see things about dirt bikes and my my kid. But uh, I, I'm. I'm willing to talk fishery stuff on there all the time and uh, look forward to any interest or inquiries as a result of this podcast. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And we'll look forward to bow fishing updates in the future as more information comes out. Sounds great. Thank you, Erica. You ready, John? I am. I got to confess, I haven't listened to this interview yet. I've been in so busy. I've not had time to sit down and Dig in on it. So you're going to have to lead this conversation about what you thought of it. Well, I've listened to it three times. I can do it. <laughs> you're better podcaster than I am. Three, two, one. All right, man. How cool is it that Doc gets this stuff done for us? She's been with us for, as I think, like 20 episodes in. She joined the Fish Nerds podcast and still at it. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. She's yeah. an absolute Before joy. Before she was Doc Martin, she, <laughs> she, was, she was doing some pretty rough fish drawings on, on, uh, on Twitter. And then we found her there and we thought, this is our person. This is our nerd. And now she's done. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. You can, you can smell I your mean, people. It's amazing how you, 
you just kind of we're all just kind of mot like moths to the light when it comes to to fishers and she was she was the first one and I, I just adore her and and her content is always great and she really she's really sounding um full of vim and vigor here she must be super excited that school's out and she oh. can you know flex her wings a little bit and do a few things yeah well doc martin is, is is very interesting and smart and she's also a, a picks fight so she's she's got a lot of vigor in her so she's terrific i love it so let's talk about this interview what do you think let's, let's talk about it so first thing bow fishing is it uh fishing or hunting clay i think it's hunting i think it is technically hunting too it's a it's a lethal interaction and therefore it needs to embrace the hunting ethic Mm. Uh, but it does indeed straddle both worlds and you kind of need to examine it through you know a dual lens well you're right i mean the other things we call fishing aren't fishing also like when you go crabbing you're not fishing you are trapping right Right. because but but crab crab people who go crabbing for a living we call them crab fishers they call them they're going well and crab so yeah and and there you go and but the thing about you know crab fishing lobsters this kind of thing is um you got your little measuring deal and Mm -hmm. so if that crab isn't up to what it needs to be in terms of the law you can throw it back right i'm thinking about more like things like (laughs) gigging and spearing oh yeah and these things that are spear fishing these are lethal methods hunting is a lethal method It, Mm -hmm. it you this is what um you know, it shares a lot of these things with methods more like gigging and and spear fishing and so forth, which are definitely type of uh, more you know akin to hunting. Even though they fall, when you look up the regs, it's going to fall under the fisheries thing. No, that's true. And when when you get those things, you you know, you're not doing catch and release. Exactly. I think when it's a lethal thing, we've got to look at it more from like I say, embrace a hunter's ethic as far as wanton waste. Mm not taking things that, that, that we don't need to take. We, we cannot, you know, just, just, um, say, Oh, you know, it's like catching fish and catch as many as you want. And this kind of thing, because there's no option of, of release. I mean, people ask me why I quit hunting and I say, well, um, I'm just getting old and kind of lazy and I don't want to be stuck with cleaning something if I don't want to. I mean, I, the first I, time I tried to release a pheasant after I shot it, 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 it didn't work. No, it flies like a rock. Yeah, I threw yeah. it in the air like a half dozen times. It, it, it would not, you know, I had to take it home, clean it, and eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, but seriously, um, so we need to look through this dual lens. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's dealing with fisheries, and the fisheries department, you know, going to handle it. But it is a lethal way to do it. Now, my answer to Jason's, you know, predicament about is it hunting is it fishing is it this is it that is that all these fish should be considered game fish Mm -hmm. this classification would help him with the funding issues and would raise these animals to a new level of recognition and respect that's going to allow the closer regulatory oversight well give them economic value and that increases people's caring about them exactly or or you know ethical value or however you want to turn it i mean i do not like allowable wanton waste i do not like the fact that you can just shoot as many coyotes in kansas as you want and leave them lay i don't like that you can just throw fish on the bank and this is where i get into it with people me too me too how's it how first of all how's that not littering how is that any different than throwing a styrofoam cup on the bank but except that it stinks right (laughs) um they're all like well something will come eat it or that's true that's true but a lot of things will biodegrade, but that that doesn't make it okay i don't want to see somebody's you know banana peels i don't want to see any of this out there um, 
But I'm telling you, Clay, here's the flip side. If we declare all these carps and all these sorts of things uh, game fish, mm-hmm. especially your, your slow-growing species like gar, like our buffalo fish, our, our buffalo carp, uh, uh, quillbacks, things like that, the flip side for me was that if you're going to do that, then you ought to let people bow fish for all the game fish. Why not? Or at least most of them. Well, if it's illegal, so if, if there's a if there's a size that's legal to keep, why why limit methods? I don't feel good about fly fishing only rivers. I know you don't. I don't see <laughs> a difference. I'm like, what are you different? You're putting a different hook with a different kind of meat on it in their face. I mean, who cares? You're still right. hooking a fish to value one style of the other. If you're going to kill them anyway. Well, make sure they're the right size or the right slot or whatever it is you're doing. I'm with you. Well, I, you know, so why, you know, why can you spear a, a muskie or a pike or a sturgeon through the ice, but you can't use a bow on it? Right. And just like, oh, well, we can't let people bow hunt bass. They'd be on their beds and this. It's like, well, we don't let people bow hunt deer when they're reproducing. Right. You can or, have uh, seasons. You, know, you can have seasons. You yeah. can control it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, if you get into a, a place where there's, say a lot of white bass surfacing or something and you want to try to hit one with an arrow i don't have a problem with it well it sounds uh, really fun too now that you mention it. it sounds yeah, like a really good time crazy. yeah and and you want to talk about a good time now here's something i'm going to pose real quick is that we can go after these nuisance fish in a big way with these lethal methods i don't know if we've done one on the show but you know that the spear fishers have become eco superheroes by chasing these lionfish yes off these coral reefs and they have these tournaments and they'll harvest a thousand of these darn things and they'll use them or not use them but but they're controlling the lionfish well i saw a documentary on the on the silver and big head carp and how commercial fishers know how to kind of drive them and corral them and coop them up and and they're using some of these methods down on like uh uh uh, down in uh, kentucky lake and um oh gosh the name escapes me but the one right next to it starts with a b at some gentleman's name but how you kind of drive them into these areas and you pin them up now what would be more fun than having a big old tournament about that we get some some guys you know guys would start learning how to drive these asian carp and then you have a flotilla of dudes with bows and you get them all run into this area and you and you and you get it so these guys can just just blast them away and and you would have a like the waterfowl hunting you would have a point system so if you accidentally hit a drum well that's 25 points if you accidentally hit a paddlefish maybe that's 80 points you hit a scarce fish like a sturgeon that's your 100 points um also golf scoring well you, you know it's, it's what so I low score wins exactly you you zero points for the silver and the big head you can take all you want all you can carry out with you mm-hmm. but there are ways to make this sort of thing recreationally palatable i i am not going to as 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 angry as some of these folks make me um and and it's not just bow fishers it's people that want to waste mm-hmm. game i don't care whether you're hunting or fishing that gets under my skin so because yeah i'm with you i i, I it's cool i and i know the thrill i used to hunt i know the thrill of of uh, lethal uh, harvest and it's um it's fine as long as we're sporting, as long as we're ethical, as long as we play by the rules. But Jason, I'm with you, brother. I'm so with you. Let's get these fish all considered game fish, except yeah, yeah. maybe perhaps the the, the invasive, the, what we call the invasive carp, um, because like Doc points out, they're all Asian carp. 
But um, um, even them, give them give them some game fish status, just so you can't just dump them wherever you want, or can't just abuse them anytime you want. Uh, but we certainly can. You know, we do very. We have the sophistication to do very narrow, very specific limits on this body of water. You can do X, but the one next door you can't. And we've got against. You know, well, I shouldn't say against because I hate setting up an adversarial process here, but. You know, when it comes to these invasive carp, we've got way too many of them. We want them out of there. Uh, they, they have value. Uh, I don't know. Like this company, I, I saw the documentary on harvest, like 4 million pounds of these things. I don't know what they, if they're going into fertilizer. I don't know if they're going into pet food. I don't know what they're going into, but there's some use for them. Right. So I'd be okay with, with, with most uses. Just, just, just burying them in the ground for no good reason. I'm out. But dog food, cat food, that's a reason. You know, makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, as long as, it's, seriously. as long as it's not hurting other species or damaging the environment, go for it. All right, and John, then, you got to wrap this up, buddy. Okay. Well, anyway, that's just what I was going to say. That's just my <laughs> trade off. We're going to, we're going to call everything yeah. game fish that's fished for with hook and line. And we're going to widen the arena where if it's spearfish allowable, gigging allowable, let's let the bow hunters All have right. a crack. At I'm not going to get into it right now, but in Lake Champlain, you can hunt fish with a gun. We know that one. And, uh, <laughs> Don't we, take me back to the musky thing. We can, we can that, fly man. back there again someday. I do. Want, <laughs> I still want to meet someone who's done it. I have not found that person yet, so we'll fly back well, there. I'll, I'll give a look around, too. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. We'll do it. All right, let's get on out of here, brother. All right. Hey, uh, John, thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you for being part of this podcast. I appreciate you, and I uh, always make it you, – you make me do it, and I appreciate you. So thank <laughs> you so much for, for keeping me going. Um so you've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Big thanks to Doc Martin, who did the heavy lifting on today's show. We appreciate you. Thanks to Jason Schooley for schooling us about bow fishing. John King, thank you. And big thanks to also Wally Pleasant for our theme for this week's show. Okay, bring us out of here, John. Oh, and thank you to Diana's Bath Salts, and thank you oh, to... No news today, so Diana's Bath Salts is not being thanked. They can screw. Well, I, they I still can, like them. They can screw. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks to Clay's kids, because he's going to be late getting someone from karate practice. That's right. Um, and for putting up with this craziness. All righty. Um, so until next time, John, say it. Until next time, you listen to a couple of fish nerds no, no. when you should have been fishing. Did we already do that? Follow the code of the fish nerds. That's where we're at. All right. All right, until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. You did it, John. You made a podcast. Getting those ankles wet or deep in the ocean, casting nets, fish nerds. Okay, nerds. You want some bonus content? This is secret like my kids call them aftershocks. I think they're called post credit scenes. This is a post credit fish nerds scene uh many of you know i work full-time as a disc jockey i work on uh, conway in conway new hampshire on a station called magic 104 104.5 fm if you want to check it out i'm live every single morning at 6 a.m and it's top 40 so if that's not your style that's cool uh and i do fun bits and have a good time on here you can stream it on our website conwaymagic.com or go to tune in radio or any various radio apps and stream it there but the other day on the radio, my boss, Lucia, put together a uh, chocolate challenge. I love food challenges. And we used to do a bunch of the fish nerds. We'll cycle back to them until we used to do a lot of tin fish challenge, stuff like that. We'll cycle back to it. There are fish in this challenge. So I thought maybe it's appropriate to give you a sneak peek 
or behind the scenes look at what I do in my day job. So here we go. And uh, yeah, enjoy it. If you like it, tell someone about it. Thanks for listening. It's 801 on the Magic Morning Show, and I think it's my lucky day. <laughs> my boss, Lucia, is in the house. Lucia, how's it going? Wonderful. Good. Make sure you talk right into <laughs> that mic there. All right, Lucia uh, doesn't get on mic very often. In no, fact, I've I never don't. seen you live on the radio before. No. Yeah, you've been here like 42 years? 150 years, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Yeah, so tell me, wow. what are we doing today? Well, Last Friday, when you did the chocolate-covered pickle challenge. Delicious, by the way. Sounds good. You left a chocolate-covered pickle on my desk all day. Well, you're supposed to have tasted it. And I looked at it, and (laughs) all I could think about all day long was how every time you do one of these challenges, you know what you're biting into. Mm -hmm. You've made it, (laughs) and you are completely in the know. Right. And so I'm thinking to myself, it would be so much more fun if you had... Absolutely no idea what you were biting into. <laughs> That's true. And so I started making my evil list of things that you could bite into. Right. And then covered them in chocolate. Perfect. You and you told me I have to have some special guests in. So we invited oh, abso- Josh well, Snell and Dave Smolin. Way more fun with more people. Misery loves company. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah. And I did throw in some things that that are you know pretty good too. To some people, but, you know, you there know. there are some things that are I don't you know bite it. Noticeably less good. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> but t- other voices. You can, no, I, I don't that's think George there's Cleveland, by the any way, potentially. The yeah. I think there are some things that are less good. Okay. That's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> yes. All right. But then there are some things that are going to be absolutely delicious. Well, okay. Okay. So, so me, I'm going to step back. Let me play our theme song. Do not eat this. Sir, really, uh, do not eat this. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. It's not edible. Ooh, not edible. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Yeah, finally, something even I wouldn't eat. All right, well, let's let's get into this. <laughs> Lucia, you're going to be in charge of this show. Uh, tasters are Josh Snell, David Smolin. I'm not going to taste anything. Oh, yes, you are. Come on, Craig, yeah. Oh, yes, you are. You are. All right, well, you we're me into this. We better get after it. What are we tasting first, Lucia? This is why I'm standing well, behind yeah, you. Yeah, your choice. Sure you Dealer's choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys each have a, a plate here, so you're each going to take one of the things from right. your plate. Here. Right. And, and actually, we should describe it for the listeners. So we should all be doing the same taste at the same time. I mean, time. they all look the same. They, oh, yes. That's right. beautiful. Let's all yeah. do the same thing. So which one am I doing? Okay. So we're going to do this one first. This one. So They're okay. all little, this little looks, dollops of chocolate with uh, a so toothpick coming a, out of the top. It looks like <clears> a, a plunger. All right. Okay. looks like a okay, baseball cap. Here we go. All right. Ready? One, two, three. Oh. I don't know. Oh. Oh, it's garlic. It's garlic. Oh, my mm. God. Oh, that's bad. That's delicious. Oh. Mm. Oh, I'm going to throw up. I love it. That's great. I'm throwing up. Mm. I'm throwing a garlic, up on a you, garlic clove. It took me Raw a minute. garlic clove. We're getting dip. extra bags in the studio no, 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 no. now. <laughs> it took Chocolate. me a minute. It's pretty harsh, but yeah, it's me, pretty good. Let me have a sip of my coffee to wash that down. Mm. You know, garlic is really good for you on many levels. Oh. It's really good for colds <laughs> and, um, you know, not so good for breath. And... <laughs> That was not. That wasn't horrible. Well, it it is now. Give it a minute. Woo! It comes back. There it is. Oh, yeah. <sighs> okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Wow. Well, one here for you. Oh yeah. Eyes are watering. Okay. That's a good one. All right. You got to mix it up. This there. is a big one. All right. I'm I'm a little bit afraid. That garlic really set well, me through the roof. This there. one looks like a plunger. There's a hair Toilet plunger. on mine. Oh, it's 
Nice. Just cat hair. Oh, okay. Just, just cat, a cat hair. hair. No problem. All right. All right. Here we go. Aaron will love that. All right. One, two, here we three. go. <laughs> oh, that is, is gross. It a grape? What the hell is that? I don't know, but it's not. What? It's disgusting. No, thank you. I don't know what it is. Oh. I think I'm still broken from the garlic. <laughs> garlic was probably a good mm-hmm. one to start with. I can't with, swallow it, is... though. It's not my, my body's rejecting. What is that, Lucia? Well, it, it tastes it like is. a... Yeah, I, I can't guess uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, that one is mushroom. Oh, mushroom. Mushroom. All right. There man. it is. All right. I was going to bring in Micro some of today, at too. the radio station. I love it. That was a mushroom. <laughs> That's great. All right. He's spitting in the trash can. Right. Is that psilocybin? Mm, oh. I'm ready. You'll find out. That was delicious. I think Clay needs more coffee. Mm. Don't. <clears throat> okay, I recommend you right, to listen. We need something uh, good, though. Come don't on. do mushrooms in chocolate. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I completely disagree. Oh, it hurts my eyes. <laughs> it's making me cry. Oh. Okay. I'm going to oh, throw it Oh, this one looks beautiful. This one. They, it looks the same as the last one. I know. They oh, all this is going to be so good. Thing. Oh, man. All right, fellas. <sighs> My neck hurts. I'm, I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting dizzy. All right. Here all right. we go. Here all we right. go. All right. Mm, squishy. That's a grape. Is that a, ap- a grape or apple? Grape. Mm. You guys oh. are good. I got it. All I right. got it. Grape. That's okay. That's that one was delicious. Mm. That's a nice little, little oh. pops in your mouth. Little palate cleanser right there. Oh, I got coffee. I'm good. Clay, I love it when things pop in my mouth. <laughs> I'm still I'm still feeling the garlic. The garlic is gonna haunt you for a long time. <laughs> that was a really big clove. Oh my god. Yeah, that was I'm a just lot. waiting for the mushrooms to kick in. <laughs> yeah, it was, right. I, at least I, you won't some earlier. I'm good. Oh my God, Lucia, you used to be my favorite person. Yeah, you're still ranking in the top twenty, but right. you've fallen. I'm falling All right. more every fight. Yeah. All right. I'm not so sure. I, I, I'm complaining uh, to your mom, Lucia. I was really <laughs> excited about this when you asked me, and now uh, it's kind of. You did see how many of these? There's there so many. Oh God. All right, here we go. Here we go. One, two, three. Oh, oh, marshmallow. Co- coconut. Coconut. Oh. No. That's Pe- okay. Peanut butter. Oh. Oh, that's good. Mar- I don't. I don't know what it that's is. That's good. Those no. are cookie dough bites. Cookie oh. dough. Oh. Oh. Cookie dough. Oh, yeah. Cookie dough. And, okay. And they're safe to nice. be uncooked. So. Mm. Yes. Well, oh, good. So well, no, not salmonella bites. Right. No salmonella. No, I used to buy tubes of that cookie dough when when we were skateboarding around town and just sit there on the, on the park bench and eat it. That was yes. the non-safe one. That's the non-safe cookie. Well. Dough. What doesn't stuff. kill you makes you stronger. There you go. A little salmonella is no big deal. Keep that attitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Oh, God. I'm having regrets about this, Lucia. Yeah, I have to make I am, more radio I am instantly, I I instantly having regrets. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, God. God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here this we go. Like... All right. Cheers. Cheers. It tastes like a slug. Oh. <laughs> That tastes like a sock. Oh. <laughs> That's fish. It's dry in my mouth. Is that fish? Yes. That's fish. That's what I was going to do to Clay. <laughs> that was That was too much. That's a bridge too far, Lucia. <laughs> that is a bridge too far. He's gagging. Are you saying you don't like oh. chocolate-covered sardines? Oh. What are you talking about? That sounds simply delicious. I can't Lucia, I despise you. I hate you with every fiber of my being. <laughs> He's throwing up on air. I don't know. Maybe you want to take a little break here. Just saying. Commercial. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, that's true. We have been eating the whole thing. That's you could true. take just bite. That's oh, that's, um, yeah. And it's 8-12 on <laughs> Magic 104. We're back, and we're doing the um, Taster's Choice Challenge with Lucia. She's taking a bunch of things, covered them in chocolate, and so far it's been a nightmare. A nightmare, Lucia. <laughs> it's a nightmare. How many more are left? I'm I think there's like, I don't know, five or 600 more t- All right. dishes. Thank you. With me uh, tasting it are David Smolin. Hi, David. Good morning. And Josh Snell. Good mo- morning. Yep. <laughs> Earlier, Josh said, could someone please fart so the room will smell better? <laughs> All right, I'm going to play the theme music one more time. We'll get back into this thing. Here we go. Oh, good Lord. What the hell are we doing? Um, where's my button? <laughs> do not eat this. Sir, really, uh, do not eat this. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. It's not edible. Ooh, not edible. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Ugh, finally, something even I wouldn't eat. All right, let's keep going. Oh, I'm, God. I hate this game. Uh, yeah. like, That's exactly what I wanted. The room smells like <laughs> like garlic, mushrooms, and vomit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With a side of sardines. Yeah, oh my God. That's a bad idea. I'm afraid. This one I'm thinking maybe you could guess if I gave you a teeny hint and said I picked this one specifically for you. You picked something in season right now. No, no, no. I I mean, I chose. Oh. Oh. (laughs) No, picked? Are you kidding me? Well, I I thought the fish was just for me. chose this Mm -hmm. just for you. Okay. Your room is going to smell like this. Uh, Is there a smaller one? No. They're all huge. You You don't have to eat the whole thing. Take a These look like cat turds. I mean, the whole thing. No guesses. All right. Here we go. You did it wrong, Dave. You're supposed to eat the whole thing. No, I don't. What is it? It's not horrible, is it? Um, it's juicy and wet. It's green. It's green. I don't know what it is. I don't know. <laughs> you know, when you saw the color of your face, oh my goodness. I don't. Fiddleheads? It's Fiddleheads! I don't like it. Oh, Great hate, job. I hate Fiddleheads. <laughs> oh my God. Disgusting. <laughs> couldn't, you, couldn't you find smaller Fiddleheads? It wasn't so bad. I liked that Fiddlehead. Well, that was, was all right. I was trying to make them the same shape as mm-hmm. the others, so that was actually two fiddleheads yeah, stacked. Why, why were they so the wet? Really I cooked us. them. Oh, okay. David, um, is I didn't want to poison you. I cheated. I want to point out that David is starting to cheat and take yes. little bites. I thought that was allowed. No. All right. We're eating the whole thing. It's we go big or go home, David Small. All right. I don't know work. what this one is, so good luck, guys. Oh God, jumping Jehovah's bats. All right. I'm really not feeling great. This better be good. I'm. That looks like a ter- cherry tomato. All right, here, All right, here we go. All right, one, go. two, three. Cheers, boys. Muzzle tough. Oh, that's okay. Tomato? Sweet. Tart? That's okay. Kumquat. That's what she said. You said that on the radio? You can't say that. What? Oh, um, What is it? Circle back to the grape. It's a grape. Yeah. I was going to say, that was yummy. Yeah. Well, no wonder I didn't know what it was. Oh, it's good. Yeah, okay. Kind of Almost, starts canceling out the... Well, you, you start feeling this like sense of dread go away when something tastes okay. <laughs> oh, or God. when it does, you're like, you are a dreadful even more. You're Maybe. like, oh, boy. No. All right. Any guesses? I do. Um, an olive? This is, this is well, what I was... Well, don't be an olive. This is what I was planning I love on. olives. Is it a chocolate-covered hot dog? Ooh, All that right. sounds delicious. Here we go. I'm afraid to get it on my I don't tongue. know what it is. I can't tell. It's like powdery. Oh, it's gross, though. It's not good. It's not good. It's terrible. Piano sausages. 
I was so yep. close. Very close. A flaccid well, mini wiener. It's kind of like oh. cat, cat food <laughs> ovals. Because you're not supposed to eat hot dogs uncooked. They so are. I hot dogs are, com- hot dogs are you, cooked. You're still right. not supposed to eat them. Of course you can. Until you cook them. I, I thought they It's the same you, as bologna, isn't them. it? I eat them raw all the time. You can eat a hot dog raw. <laughs> yeah. Un- are we done, Lucia? Kyle. Kyle loves I'm hot dogs. I'm st- One I'm of the guys that works for me. I'm starting to get the shakes. He eats raw hot dogs all the time. Yeah, you can totally do okay. that. That's this, fine. We can make this one. The last we gotta make this a lot. We're out of time. Okay. Yeah, we're yeah. out of time. We can make yeah, this the last one. We're, okay, I gotta go throw up. <laughs> <laughs> Got important barfing to get to. Oh yes. Okay. Okay. Okay, right. Lucia, can I you put these all on the counter today so when visitors come, they just take what? one? Oh and my oh, god, yeah. that is a great idea. Yeah. So this is very circular. It looks like a, right. a, right. a short roll. Cheers. 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 Oh god. Here we go. Like oh, I'm, uh, I'm having fear, uh, like genuine afraid. Stalling, so they taste it first. True. Here we go. That's gross. It's rubbery. No, oh. it is rubbery. Is it? What it's, is it? Oh, it's like, mild. I don't like it. I, oh. It makes me unhappy. I don't like this one. <laughs> it's making my soul bleed. Dollop or something. So you guys don't like chocolate covered prunes? Oh, oh, I hate prunes. I mean, that's gross. <laughs> I haven't pooped yet today. I'll keep eating that one. Thank God. <laughs> Make it more. Lucia, um, never do this to me again. <laughs> I do this every day. Oh, there Truly magic Well, we I know. And, and if you ever see these up on the counter now, and they might be like strawberries or whatever, you're going to be mm-hmm. like, nope, nope. Well, so, so Big Dave is visiting in the other studio this morning. Go put these out on the counter and just oh. leave them. Don't give them, tell them what they are. Just oh my say, hey, help God. yourself. That's fantastic idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no, that'll be fun. Yes. You can give them away. All right. Well, Lucia, thank you for that, garlic, kind please. of. I. It, it was absolutely oh. my pleasure. That was mm-hmm. awesome. I yeah. loved it. I loved it. Josh <laughs> Snell. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. The mushroom wasn't bad. Uh, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite? The favorite was grape. Obviously. The sardines. That was the best. Uh, the sardines was, was, ruined I, me. That's the only one I had to I had to spit out. That I was, totally thought you guys were going to think the cookie dough was the best. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. I can't, I can't remember what yeah. tasted good. Coconut. I like the chocolate well, hot dog. That we are bad. we are broken yeah. men. <laughs> yeah. Our taste buds are ruined from the early oh. garlic stages. And yeah. then <laughs> yes, that should the have sardines. been like the last one. Yes. <laughs> right. All right. Well, that was your your chocolate covered whatever it is challenge on Magic 104. Wow. David Smolin and thank you, Clay Snell. Thank you for coming in this morning. Yeah, just to say, did you say Clay Snell? I don't know. I. You know, like Josh. You know when you have a crush on someone, you write their name on your notebook. You add your last name. I do that. I write Clay Snell with a big heart around it. This is Magic 104. It's time for news and weather. The first news.